Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast, Sport and Life. Thank you for hitting on the button. Monday morning, the 28th of September. Um, and good to have you here. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Nollison of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Jason Brees and his team contactable through the Bang Nollison of Cheltenham website or indeed social media on Instagram and Twitter. Some fine equipment. I've got a fantastic pair of headphones here from Bang Olufsen as well. And actually on their Instagram account, they do detail and document um, some pretty cool videos from B&O uh, in terms of the new equipment and things like that. And through Serene AV, also source other brands for home entertainment systems, home cinemas, that kind of stuff. So worth getting in contact with them. Thank you as well to Cytoplan for their association with the podcast food-based supplements, which is going to feature in part of the conversation with my father, Dr. Mark Draper, in this podcast. Uh, but he's been working as a consultant with them for decades. We've been taking the supplements at our own cost, paying for them, I should should add as well, from cytoplan.co.uk for decades. Really believe in them, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. And with this podcast, you can get a 10% discount with the code DRAPER10, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R-1. Zero. So numbers, not the numbers written out, the actual uh, num- numerals. Um, and you get 10% off with Cytoplan. Now, the podcast today was recorded at the weekend, on my anniversary weekend, but managed to get uh, a little bit of time, almost an hour ultimately, with my dad in the garden at his Cotswolds home. He's a GP in the in Morton in the Marsh in the Cotswolds. He's also a nutritionist, has taught nutrition courses and is particularly fascinated by micronutrition, trace elements, so on and so forth. And this podcast was about his reflections as a GP, general practitioner, and what he's seeing in terms of COVID-19, but also uh, optimizing immunity, which is kind of a less uh, widely publicized topic, probably because it's more nuanced, but talking about uh, other aspects of, of boosting our immunity, the importance of sleep, exercise, daylight, vitamin D in particular, we talk about an exposure to daylight, and how we can circumnavigate that, depending on our our skin pigmentation, whether we're sort of quote-unquote white or quote-unquote black and the spectrum of that in terms of melanin in our skin and how we need to adapt to that and, and realise what we need to do in terms of um, trying to be healthy and keep vitamin D, its importance to our health. And we talk about the supplements from Cytoplan and a new one as well, which has come out, which is Immune Complete 1 and Immune Complete 2, the distinction being a bit like their foundation formula formula multivitamin that immune complete one contains iron so that's for women and children immune complete two doesn't contain iron primarily and there may be other nuance nuance differences but that's the primary distinction because men uh, adult men don't require iron in, in a supplement necessarily have enough in their diet um, but it's a, a multivitamin a mineral and phytonutrient complex incorporating optimal levels of key immune supporting nutrients in excellent all-round vitamin or vitamin and mineral levels. So it's an interesting discussion with my dad. Hope you enjoy it. Here he is, Dr. Mark Draper. Thank you. So here we are in the back garden of my old man, Dr. Mark Draper, bathed in autumn sunshine, a bit of chill in the air as uh, as we head into the season. Dad, how are you doing? I'm very well. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, a lovely, lovely day. Our uh, 11th year anniversary, or well, my wife and I, is not yours, but we've um, oh. come up. You've, uh, you've been looking after Zoe for us. Um, it's yeah, it's a beautiful time of year, but it's a time of year, I suppose, you talked about, to me, I don't know whether on our previous podcast chats, but uh, conversationally, about this potential for 
the COVID-19 to, to flare up again, as in in line with other respiratory seasonal bugs. So how do you feel about the sort of the situation at the moment, the government saying that, that sort of rates are going up of, of incidences of people testing positive? Were you expecting that? Yes, to some extent, because you've got several factors happening. You've got seasonal changes. You've got schools uh, opening after a long summer recess. Um, you've got a freeing of, of certain other restrictions. So um, you'd expect a, a slightly higher uh, prevalence. Um, but even now, the the uh, incident rates are still very low, but mm. obviously they're trying to mitigate against um, further rises or or changes becoming exponential, and there's certainly no evidence of that. Um, what what are you seeing on the ground level at your practice? We're not seeing it at, um, on the ground level, so you know I think that. It, but that's a rural um, Gloucestershire uh, situation, so very different to the trouble spots, which seem to be um, urban areas, uh, Newcastle, Leicester, um, parts of South Wales, Cardiff, Newport. Mm. Um, so that's just because of the proximity of people to each other, you feel? Uh, Yes, and maybe maybe to, to you know the difference in um, age distribution of the population because it, it seems that there's a larger number of of young people uh, testing positive, and I suppose the other thing is that um, by definition the cases that we had originally um, were hospitalisations um, and. Uh, mm. people that were seriously ill and now with track and trace what we've got is a large percentage of people that are younger positive but not ill and yes and I think that's the significant difference really so you know they're, they're not really comparable you know it's like mm. comparing apples with pears so it's the, the, the sheer scale of the testing now the amount of people being tested that perhaps we would have what been sort of blown away in the spring by how many people actually yes. had the virus that we didn't yes. know about because we only knew the people who were actually getting seriously ill with it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's it's interesting that sort of prevalence of it. Quickly on the, the subject, people might be interested in this because we keep saying in the autumn respiratory conditions rise, be they COVID-19 or the regular stuff, the seasonal coughs and colds and the fl influenza. Why why is that? If they just like the temperature more or what's the, the reasoning? Um... I think it's partly uh, uh, temperature related. It'll also be partly that we, in the summer, we spend more time outdoors, therefore less time in confined spaces. Um, is Our it, immune system is more to do, Is it to do with the immune system? I don't, I don't think it is really. I mean, I think a lot of it seems to coincide with, I mean, September, October has always been a time when you get, you get the influenzas reoccurring mm. um, and a lot of that was put down to schools going back and particularly schools that were boarding schools and had foreign students coming from overseas and carrying you know the new strain of of a an of influenza a or b 
Um, and I think it's interesting that over the last few months, the deaths from influenza has been higher than COVID. So, I mean, I think that's something that everybody's got to keep in perspective. Yeah. Are you um, surprised that the media doesn't cover those deaths more? Or is it just, just yes, a sort of routine so. habit now to, to cover the COVID? Yeah, I think we've got obsessed with COVID and and uh, uh, and we're not looking at the big the bigger picture, really. Mm. Do you think we'd have been um, more able to cope psychologically with COVID and with the mortalities had we been more cognizant of how many people passed away with influenza and other ailments each year? Or just yes. the concept of, yes. of having figures of, of death presented to us? Because it's something that as a doctor, and we've got a lot of doctors in the family, and maybe we grew up in that reality, that a lot of people sort of are coming face to face with mortality in a way through this process. Yes, and 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 you know the the it, the, I suppose the difference with the influenza viruses, um, COVID is is very age related, um, and to a certain extent, condition and deficiency related, whereas um, and to an extent maybe influenza is as well, mm. but influenza deaths could hit any age and could 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 hit people in their 30s and 40s yeah um Great. so if, <laughs> if anything they, they you know the the influenza was potentially more life-threatening to, to to younger age group than covid appears to be yeah and with, um, with covid potentially i think the world health organization says becoming something we have to live with like influenza is it true that at certain times we can be carrying fragments of influenza but not necessarily be ill yes and in a similar way could that be the case with yes i mean with that, COVID, that, that we that some of us are having it or have had it but wouldn't yes. know about it because we didn't get a, a, a large viral load and our immune systems were yeah i mean well I, rested I, at the time or optimal at the time i i i think the studies that are now looking at sort of zero prevalence of sars uh covid2 um a showing we know is covid19 a, a show are showing that really um, you know, there's an article in the BMJ that says the serological IgG testing um, is more likely to be positive if people are severely ill, whereas um, if people are very mildly ill or asymptomatic, they're unlikely to develop an IgG uh, response. So if you like, if you did a, a blood test on them, they would test negative. But if you did a blood test for IgA, um, they that that would quite uh, IgA is is secretory antibody. So IgA is secreted into the mouth, the chest, and the gut, um, and obviously that so antibody is being produced in reaction to to dealing yes, with the and virus. That, and and in a way though that that the IgA antibodies would last, I think, for six or seven weeks. Mm. Um, and if if that IgA response um, stopped you becoming seriously ill, you wouldn't then develop an IgG So IgG response. shows a severe infection. I think it's more uh, when it's blo becoming bloodborne and spreading within the body. Uh, Which if someone was seriously ill, Ill with would, would happen. Where, whereas if you've if you've got your IgA, you've you, you've knocked it out at the point of entry if you like so you you've you've restricted it to the mucous membranes in the respiratory tract really yeah so the question and is as well we probably are always being or potentially often exposed to this virus at the moment because despite restrictions and regulations we're still in public places 
yeah, but their viral load may not be high enough to make us ill. So it's a strange thing of how do we protect ourselves and are we protecting ourselves with all the, the measures we're taking? Well, I think it will, it, it, it will become, if, if we have zero prevalence rates, let's say for sake of argument, they quote 9% seropositive and the seropositive tests were IgG based, then from some studies around the world where they've looked at populations mm. and incidents, the zero conversion to IgA was about five or six times higher. So if you start then to times 9% by five or six, you start to arrive at 40 40 to 50 percent of people 40 in the 55 percent being exposed to have antibodies uh, that they weren't severely have, ill yeah and so yeah and then you start to you know it, for herd immunity people talk about if 80 percent of the population has um and uh, uh, has you know uh, immunity to an illness then it then the ep- it can't cause an epidemic by definition because you're you're vulnerable uh, part of the population is only a small percentage. Um, I think several things arise from the zero prevalence studies and looking at the diversity of immune response. Um, uh, several several th- sort of things uh, uh, spin off from that. Um, these studies haven't included T lymphocyte responses, which some people have quoted as 20% of people that come across it have a T T cell response. Twenty um, percent of people who, are, who come across COVID nineteen virus, yeah, yeah, have a T lymphocyte response. And what so, so T lymphocyte is it? Is it what T lymphocytes like? are are immune cells that um, at- attack the virus directly. So that's not an antibody response; that's a cellular response. Okay. So that's part of what we call the innate immune system. So is that before is the antibodies kick in? Yeah. And that's what lymphocytes and phagocytes work in tandem. Then, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So phagocytes eat up the virus cells. Yeah, ma- the ma- and ma- macro. Yeah, so that so the macrophages and things like that will also search out Ig. You know, if an IgA tags a virus, then the macrophages yeah. will knock out the. So will the, will the restrictions just regulate the amount of virus we're being exposed to? Is that the theory that the viral load for all of us will be lower because we're moving around, but we're not sort of mingling willy nilly and, and being in close proximity to lots of people as we might do, particularly if we were regular commuters into the centre of London and, and I think you prolong England. I think I think with the measures you prolong the you, you prolong the um, acute hit the, you, you, you know that they talk about flattening the curve and I suppose what you're doing is in a sense is flattening the curve but you're prolonging in effect you're prolonging the outbreak and every time you relax re- restrictions if the incidence of naturally acquired immunity is low then the that then you can expect the incidents, particularly if the virus is is still around, to to rise. Um, so in theory, if we all have been, say, there's obviously conjecture over when COVID-19 arrived in this country, in the UK, and I know there's a debate in the USA about when it may have arrived there and other countries, but if it came in, say, January, February, and we've all been exposed to effectively microdosing, is that the, the sense that we're all getting little bits of microdosing the virus, so eventually we will have some innate resilience to this yes. with or without a vaccine. Yes. And the difficulty of the vaccine, when you look at the response to, if you like, the wild virus, because COVID uh, responses are so diverse, depending upon 
whether or not you, you're asymptomatic or you'll have the illness very mildly, um, you'll have to have a variety of different testing to know if your vaccine conversion is going to confer yeah. immunity to the to disease. Get, to get a true picture, we're obviously still we're testing on a much bigger scale, but we're, we're having testing that responds to symptoms. To, to be a clear picture of where we might be in terms of herd immunity, presumably we need a blanket testing policy for almost everyone on the con- in the country because or, the vast or, majority of people aren't going to be showing symptoms, so they wouldn't be motivated to go to testing sites. Or you need population surveys where you, you know, like the, the study quoted in the BMJ where they looked at an Australian, uh, Austrian study. So in this study, um, I'll just find it. A recent seroprevalence survey of 1,473 residents, which was 79% of the local population. This is in Austria. Yeah, in Austria used a combined IgG and IgA approach, found uh, COVID-19 antibodies in 42.4% of those tested, far higher than rates in previous population-based surveys of other infection hotspots. Um, Similarly, IgA antibodies were detected in 11% of 1,862 people tested in a general population in Luxembourg, mm. whereas IgG antibodies were found only in 1.9%. So if you like, that's where you think five to six times as many people um, were developing IgA antibodies. So so, so, so that could be, a th- you could apply that maybe to London, which so, was which so heavily hit by coronavirus. You think that potentially there could be up to 50% of people so have, have it, some antibody reaction to, to So when virus. people talk about, you know, that the, the, the presence of IgG antibodies in a population, you've got to think perhaps the uh, acquired immunity is five to six times as high as that. Yeah, because IgG is severe illness, whereas IgA is, yeah, it is, is just your... Mild asymptomatic. Your immune and, system getting kind of uh, and that, t- and that, touched up by the, the virus. Yeah, and that, and that figures in a way when you hear of people who came into close contact with family members who um, where one uh, zero tested positive for the IgG, but the other people tested zero negative for IgG... Mm but weren't ill. Which was the case with, so, with obviously, our, who's been on the podcast, JJ, my brother, who's singer-songwriter, is a few episodes back in the podcast. People can listen to that. But he had coronavirus unequivocally through the testing, and yet and you, were around him at the, you were around him at the time, and you and mum are both in your 60s. Yes. And yet you didn't yield a, a positive antibody test, yes. the ones that were out in the, the early part of the summer. Yes. And prior to exposure to him, we'd had a mild COVID-like illness, uh, that we both reacted slightly differently to. Mm. Uh, but that was in February, so that was pre all of the testing and things like that. And to a certain extent, the the knowledge of the different ways that it could affect us, which I think the information is now accruing mm. about what we're dealing with. Uh, whereas in the early days, I think we were rightfully afraid because we had no knowledge of how it would hit the UK population. Mm. How, how, how do you feel as a, a man in your mid-60s? Obviously, you're at the, the front line to a certain extent. I know that most of the consultations are, are by telephone now. How do you feel about the risk of it? Are you, are you afraid of, of catching it? Or do no. you feel that you, it's been around you? And Yeah, I think, I've had, I think I've probably had it. I would like to have had the 
uh, ability to do IgA and particularly T lymphocytes because I think the more um, immunologically com com competent and to a certain extent challenged you are because we know, we've known for a long time that healthcare workers are always exposed to the new strains of, of any virus uh, ahead of the general population. Mm. And those in hospitals would get a heavy viral um, load as well, wouldn't they? And those people working in, in the ITUs would um, also have a, a high risk of exposure. But the interesting thing from the studies in China of, of, people, of, of healthcare workers, when they looked at it, because people were uh, very early on taking uh, at, at work um, measures that would give quite high levels of protection against acquiring it, that the majority of people acquired it, acquired it at, at home from family members. Because you have to be around people for a big extended it, it, period of time. And because, in a way, you know, you have to um, touch surfaces that has the virus on it or be in the breathing space of somebody where you get droplet transmission. Yeah, and yet our brother, my brother, your son, JJ, he was obviously living with his girlfriend at the time and he picked up the virus at a pub where he worked in southwest London and yet his girlfriend never had any symptoms, symptoms or at illness all. at all and he was sleeping, I don't know, speculate on what they were getting up to but they were uh, obviously sleeping in the same bedroom and things like and, that. So. And we were, we were in the same car with him in the incubation phase, uh, you know, for two, for two or three hours. Mm. you know waiting uh so it could be to get severely ill you need a, a, a prolonged do you feel like a prolonged exposure or is it just the, the amount that you'd be, be around someone I, I, who's very i think Ill, it or? just depends on your susceptibility i mean I, th I think that um you know when you don't when you don't become ill and if you, if you take the influenza and co uh, cold uh, virus scenarios you know they think that for every one person that becomes ill there's probably five or six people that are carrying it and not becoming ill mm. so i wouldn't be surprised to find that covid behaves in exactly the same way so, so, so I think, the simplistic I think, behavioral advice over washing your hands and keeping distance which obviously is pragmatic and i suppose people can't argue with the, the science behind that but is there a deeper truth that that this has exposed perhaps uh, some people's weakened immune systems through age or, or natural things or, or lifestyle choices. Do you think the, the, the bigger message is to try and preempt coming to contact with it by trying to optimise your immune system? Is that the key? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes. And is that so? That's sleep, moderate exercise. Yes. Diet. Yes. And avoid avoiding being very. We know that that. Um, uh, being very stressed, uh, psychologically or physically stressed, um, lowers immune system function. Mm. We know, for instance, that uh, people that um, over-exercise, um, for instance, uh, decath decathletes and uh, marathon runners, um, your muscles produce 50% uh, of the glutamine, and glutamine is to immune cells like glucose, mm. Um, so if you do, if you deplete your muscles' ability to make glutamine because you've you've overrun, if you like, so prolonged cardiovascular exercises. So yeah, so so uh, getting a lot of uh, free radical post-exercise activity that upsets the normal metabolic function of skeletal mm. muscle 
will lower glutamine. That's well documented. So, so, so it's a regular short, short jogs rather than long, yeah. long distance running. And yes, don't o- don't overdo uh, exercise so that your muscles are sore and and painful because if they are, then the glutamine production. Um, will will drop off and you need 50% of the glutamine in the body mm. to support the immune system to to be to to be present so well yeah i remember being at Loughborough university and being around a lot of long distance athletes and always have coughs and colds yes yeah, they're often suppressed i think because yes. it's the sheer grueling nature of what they were doing to train and, and, and to kind of keep that tempo up I suppose was the and, and obviously professional athletes who may or may not listen to this but they have a you know incumbent necessity of training but then I suppose they have to take extra measures around their immune systems to to replace that damage or to compensate for that damage by supplementation they would have they would have they would have to supplement with glutamine to re- replace so normally you need, uh, if I remember the figures correctly, you need four grams of glutamine a day to, for your immune system to function properly and 50% of it you get from your diet and the other 50% of it your muscles make mm. for you. And if therefore your muscles are over-exercised, not metabolically producing uh, glutamine, then you become immune incompetent. Yeah. And somebody I was speaking to recently said, Oh no, it doesn't. You know, COVID nineteen doesn't just affect the elderly. I know of a twenty-nine-year-old marathon runner who died of it, and you think, well, that's exactly proving the point. You know, yeah, because we perceive those people as being very healthy, but potentially that's not particularly healthy lifestyle to to have. No, no, the assumption is, oh, you're a marathon runner, therefore you must be immunologically competent. No, Mm. you're not. You're you're just a good runner. You're under threat. You, you, you're challenging your system. You're all challenging the time. your system. You're o- over over challenging it. Um, for instance, they would say that anybody doing uh, competitive sports to a high level should supplement with 200 micrograms of selenium, because the average daily intake of selenium in the UK is only 34 mics. So, even if you were uh, consuming twice as much food. You'd be getting 64, uh, 68 yeah. of selenium when you need two, two hundred plus. Yeah, is it so? You'd fall well short. It's interesting you talk about stress and the effect on the immune system because I remember being at university and have a typical pattern of, of um, cramming for f- exams and then going out drinking and then having a, a flu-like bug that would knock me out for two days after after finishing yes. that situation where. I guess you have the exhale. A lot of people say they get ill when they relax, don't they? And, then, yes. and afterwards, and obviously alcohol is an immune depressant as well. Yes. Uh, particularly at the scale at university <laughs> that we yeah. took it on board. Um, yes. So that's, there is a pattern, I think, maybe people look in their own lives of, of seeing that, that when they get viruses, they, they, the perception is that you've just been unlucky and hit by one at that time. They may be around you a lot of the time. It's just how you are living yes. and how you're looking after yourself. Yes. So, so that's the complexity of the immune system and the way that it depends upon many inputs to function properly, um, mm. some of which are scientific and logical and other wi- which aren't. You know, so, so you know, for instance, if somebody regularly meditates, then that will improve their immune system through reducing the effects of stress upon that person. Mm. That's equally important. And, and exercise uh, can be a positive concept. In, exercise and, and yeah connected to mental health as well yes yeah, so probably relief yeah yeah 
so the, the release of endorphins with exercise, so that's making you, again, probably a lot to do with feeling happy mm. and the, that, that, that effect upon the immune system, really. So what is that, oxytocin? Uh, that's in the, 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 uh, from exercise, endorphins. you release endorphins, which are morphine-like substances. Yeah, and oxytocin is when you have a baby, isn't it? Oxyto <laughs> oxytocin helps the release of milk and uh, uh, breast milk <laughs> and uh, uterine contractions. But don't, don't men have some release of oxytocin yes, when the baby's they must born? Do. They, have a, they, must a, do. they have a smaller scale of it, but it's, a, it's, the, yeah. it's the attachment. They have an attachment, but it's a lesser attachment because they can walk away from the baby yes. and, and typically go and hunt or forage or go to work or whatever yes. it might be. Hence. But it probably is the, the one of those things that ties people, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. I think I had a big, uh, big release of it actually. Mm. Um, although Zoe seems to be uh, <laughs> rebelling against my oxytocin. <laughs> She's very much mummy's girl. Um, it's it's an interesting picture, isn't it? And I think you mentioned selenium there, which you've been a big advocate of in terms of it being depleted in UK soil. And there are people who listen to this podcast looking at the statistics from the USA might be family members <laughs> boosting our numbers yeah. um, and I've always stressed that they have to be cognizant of where the people are in the world who listen to this and what the soil samples are where they yes. are whether they need selenium supplementation yes um, but zinc has emerged I think in, in research around important. COVID-19 particularly yeah and, and vitamin or, or vitamin D if you're listening in the, the states yeah. or Australia you say vitamin which probably makes sense as it comes from vitality but yes um, that's a that's a big emerging picture, and, and vitamin D is a struggle in the northern hemisphere, isn't it? Particularly yes. if we head into winter. Yes, um, vitamin D. Well, vi we take uh, vitamin D into the body in the form of vitamin D one. Mm. The kidney, healthy kidneys, convert uh, D one to D two, and then the presence of sunlight on our skin converts uh, D two to D three. So if you're supplementing, and D three is what the important one for the immune yes. immunity. Yes. So vit vitamin D3 is the active form of vitamin D. Um, and it's um, Im immune regulator. And also um, it, it stops a sort of immune cascade. Mm. So the, uh, the idea is that people that be become severely ill with COVID, um, they're, they're, because their immune response is, is incompetent in a way, they then resort to more and more primitive responses to try to f fight it off and so they almost have uh, um, uh, uh, um, an inflammatory cascade so that's where they tip into uh, viral pneumonia and, mm. uh, and, and um, uh, release of, of highly inflammatory substances mm. so, so if you like people that are um, are immune are immune competent they keep the viral the viral load and replication within their body yeah low so that it doesn't cascade through the system and can, can we store um, sunlight in these final month uh, sort of weeks of, of of late summer early autumn to the, get us through the winter or do we how do we need how do we need we need one hour we need Caucasians need one hour of sunlight the darker your skin the longer you need solar exposure but one hour of sunlight in the winter uh, yes when the sun is at its weakest in the northern hemisphere well you'd normally go between 12 and uh, 12 and 2 you know uh, uh, when the when the sun is high and the 
Yeah. And the and the but and the strength is there. When we get to December, it's dark at four and not light. So if you're morning, if you're if you're working and in an office, you you're not going to get that sun exposure. But try and take a lunch break or working at home predominantly. If you, at the if you are work if if you are working at home, then. Uh, yeah, take a lunch break and go out and walk outside for an hour. So if you need uh, sun as a catalyst to convert vitamin D2 to D3, can supplementation without sunlight through the winter get you through or does it not work because you're not getting that? No, you need, you need to make sure that your vitamin D supplement is, is vitamin D3. Oh, you can get that as a supplementation yeah. then? So you yeah. can get D3. You don't need sunlight to, to convert? No, you, you, you take the already converted molecule. It's a hydroxylation process, so you, you, you can just... Uh, check that your vitamin D is in the form of if you're yeah. taking D supplement and you'd be talking in terms of five micrograms a day uh, 400 international units is is an RDA the recommended daily amount if you have a vitamin D3 intake of 20 which is four times 20 to 40 yeah then you would be uh, from studies that I've done on vitamin D levels in the blood so somebody for instance i can think of uh without supplementation their vitamin d level was 25 Mm. um, and taking four times the rda so 20 micrograms uh, it became 75 and the adequacy level is said to be 50 okay in the blood so you know in uh, in people are in general vitamin d deficient in in developed countries there's people there are people who you would think of you would look at and think are they look well nourished etc etc they're eating a good diet their vitamin d levels will be okay um and it's probably the one thing that vitamin d is the one thing that the nhs recommends for instance that all pregnant women uh supplement with vitamin d um so it it, and you know obviously postmenopausal women to reduce the risk of osteoporosis even though osteoporosis is much more complicated than vitamin d deficiency only mm. um so 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 if you're black you should be taking more supplement more vitamin d than someone yes. who's white even through the winter because i would go, i would some, i would go f- uh four, four, four to eight times the rda to be sure yeah be- because you're going to you know it's it's a fat soluble vitamin um you're going to absorb it um you know the absorption is uh, fairly predictable um, and uh, um, so, so what's interesting is that we're talking about binary terms like it's an hour for a white person and, and how many hours for a black person would it be in, in the UK? Uh, they say four to, six, four to six hours four, so it's which four, almost done four or five times really. yeah but, well in the, in the daylight here it's only five or six hours in yeah, the, yeah. the height of winter or the, not the height of winter but the, the shortest day yes um, and it also, it's not a binary topic, is it? Because that's presumably a black person with a very dark skin pigmentation. Yes. But you, we all got friends who are, yeah. have white parents, black parents. So yes. You know, people who are dual heritage, who have different skin tones. So what is it, a yeah. touch and feel that you have to think? Because even white, we say quote unquote white people, Caucasian. There's a but big there's spectrum the, even within our family where Max, yeah. Max gets sunburnt after yes. t- 10 minutes in the... In the yeah, there, whereas be, there JJ, will be. JJ's got a very dark skin complexion. So. Yeah, it looks more sort of Hispanic. Um, yeah, so I think I, I, I think that's the point is that these things are on on a scale, and if you think of it, the the whole the, you know the the sort of uh, Afro Caribbean uh, uh, are well adapted to living equatorially, mm. where the and and that protects their skin from skin cancer and things like that. So it, you know they 
there's it's a melanin. Bene- it's melanin. That's the, the yeah. Key. So there's a benefit to to that to, uh, protection, uh, but it also means then when you move to the northern hemispheres, you've got to realise that that your 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 sun shield yeah. also stops the conversion of of D two to D three. Well, it's, fasc- it's fascinating. I was talking about this with Spencer Fearon, who's um, of Jamaican heritage, but former boxer promoter, and he was talking about that and how the white skin was just an adaptation for health, wasn't it? To get yes. pr- primarily vitamin D, was it out of the sunlight as we as we move north? Well, I think I think it was. Why? Yeah. Why did it? I don't know why it occurred. I mean, it obviously occurred. It presumably because there was no survival advantage in the skin being lighter or maybe there was a survival yeah. advantage we're getting the, that vitamin d in, though presumably because we didn't in, know about supplementation yeah then. so maybe you're you're you know if you were lighter skinned then moving north into the northern hemispheres you you your ability to fight the illnesses of the mm. day really hence if you went south you'd really struggle as well the other way so that would be yes. uh, yeah i suppose part of the, the sort of diasporas who spread around the world it's, it's interesting vitamin but vitamin d is emerging as an important part of the immune system isn't it and it's interesting there's a woman called dr Rhonda patrick who was on the joe rogan podcast i can't remember which university she's attached to but she was speculating that vitamin d can almost act like a hormone in terms of making people feel yeah good and and having that psychological effect because i remember yeah i've always loved you know the summers i coached in the u.s when they have hot hot summers there and being bathed in sunshine and feeling that kind of well, it's linked with top se- to toe heat it's linked with seasonal affective disorder um, yeah, so that's a so 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 they think that people who are solar sensitive, uh, it's the dipping in vitamin D that uh, that which is, if you like, mood enhancing, as well as immune enhancing. Yeah. Um, so serotonin and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and we talk about the immune system as well. It's all multifaceted and interactive, I suppose, in terms of how we try and be healthy to to fight off any viruses that come. But one aspect of so it's connected to vitamin D is being outdoors produces serotonin which converts to melatonin in the evening doesn't it in our bodies yes. which helps us feel sleepy is that an important thing do you think people particularly as they're in the winter in the UK are going to be stuck at their, their home desk predominantly yes. with the regulations and then go, trying to go to bed but they've had no natural light to, in, to have those hormonal effects yeah yes I do yeah, so it's okay. getting outdoors if you can for an hour and your lunch break is key yes I think so because it, yes it's more complicated than just being um exposed to sufficient uh, sunlight to convert your D2 to D3, there's going to be a whole host of other yeah. um, responses that are m- more um, complex that, that will affect your well-being, really. So I think... Uh, and do yeah. you think sleep is the, the fulcrum? Because people have their areas of research, and in a sense they skew into emphasising that relative importance. But there's Matthew Walker at the University of Berkeley... Um, I think he's Australian, actually. I'm not sure, but he works in California, and he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. He's been on a friend of mine's podcast. Tony Wrighton is a broadcaster at Sky, has a podcast called Zestology, all about health. And he sees it as the absolute foundation of, uh, of health and something that's been really attacked in the Western world because of our, our lights, our artificial lights, our screens, all these things. That He says that you know, the predominant people, more than 99%, need at least seven hours sleep, yes. good quality sleep. Yes. And you have to build around that. It's not like you can just switch your laptop off at 11 and go zonk yes. out till till six in the morning you have to have a, a sort of process and an etiquette around sleep yes do you think is that something that you've yeah i think that's been aware definitely, of? yeah definitely true and i mean i think uh you know when we were um young and uh, and uh doing um sh- effectively on call which involved you know being on call from nine o'clock in the 
morning, say, say take nine, you go on call nine o'clock on Monday morning and you come off call at theoretically five on a Tuesday and you may have been up all night um, with very little sleep and you know if you're on call for the weekend you go on you, you go in on nine o'clock on a on a Friday and leave at five o'clock on a Monday and you may mm. have had two or three hours sleep hardly surprising you become ill yeah you're yeah. in you're in a hospital environment <laughs> with, uh, with lights with, no, no with, with sleep deprivation yeah yeah and it's uh, interesting when people say the camping test isn't it and it's the fact when you go camping there's no and you, you've got the starlight around you and it goes dark and you eat your food and you sit around the campfire people typically fall asleep at half eight nine don't they yes yes whereas we push it often most people till midnight and one at one in the morning watching tv and, and yeah when we, when we lived in the west indies we were we, we often went to bed at, at eight, eight, eight o'clock uh because it goes dark often at six o'clock yeah well, it's more yeah. a consistent pattern there isn't it Cause it's more equatorial yeah and so it shifts a bit there's about probably about summer winter difference of two hours daylight but we we'd we'd often um you know eat have an hour or two and then just feel tired go to bed and also it was because it was cooler yeah and so the sun rises at four, five six o'clock and quite quickly it gets quite hot so if you want to be active you you get up uh, at five yeah. or six o'clock and do things in the cool of the day mm. and then ease back as the temperature rises yeah and there's more of a, a, a consistent pattern there you say two hours but in the uk you go from getting dark in the winter in december at four to getting dark at 11 p.m in the the summer so it's a, in a way we find it harder to, to sort of rotate naturally around we have to sort of violate the natural principles anyway don't we unless we would be yes we'd be pretty much up all the time in the summer and yes. pretty much asleep all the time in the winter if you find yes. that which maybe we were you know historically i don't know well, my, yeah i think we probably in the past we probably did you know followed much more the rhythms and if you look at the way farmers work they're they're often up at four or five o'clock you know they almost go daylight yeah they work daylight hours to get the jobs done because they've got more work in the winter they they literally you know yeah so you, so people need discipline feet, feet up and and <laughs> and enjoy the coal fire because the environment's artificial around us we have to impose that discipline don't we so we have to have etiquette around when we, so. when we turn the laptop off when we stop receiving emails and messages and say no i'm, I'm, I'm sort of unwinding now for the yes year. and it's also reflected in in you know in cities the light pollution uh, confuses the birds you know they'll sing yeah. al- they'll sing all night yeah. Um, yeah so it's confusing to other species not just our own yeah that's it it's um an interesting part of it and I, it's funny thing about the west indies because the difference between the white kids at school and the black kids at school obviously was just we had to wear sun cream and i think that's actually what a lot of the differences boil down to isn't it but people yes we've, we've been enveloped in this sort of big debate at the moment about the injustices which are ongoing and it's fascinating that actually science says only, the only difference is melanin which is to do with sun and, and and sort of your ability to cope with it and ability ability to absorb vitamin d um that was a great great time living there actually wasn't it, it felt very healthy yes. i always felt healthy in the yeah yeah definitely. with sunlight and sea and things like the natural being around the natural world yes yes well we swam every day uh and you know so we'd, uh, prob- probably swam twice a day really because you'd swim in the morning you'd go to school or i'd go to work and then we'd have a swim in the evening and you did windsurfing and had a boat windsurfing well. and yeah sailing yeah so and how much a lot of outdoor outdoor activities around the round the clock really well around the round the uh around the year yeah we can track the 
this physiological stuff like say vitamin D, serotonin, the importance of being outside. But there's, I don't know if you've heard this hypothesis, the, the biophilia hypothesis, that just being around nature and greenery, how that enhances a sense of well-being in, in human beings. Because we're sat in the garden now, and it's actually funny because you've just finally got hold of, on a full-time basis, you're small holding, haven't you now? That's yes. for, for a really incredible modest price, but you've got four acres for a year now. And um, that's been sort of a huge boost for yeah, you through, through, really the, through this period, hasn't it, of, of stress? Yeah, just planning to grow uh, food, um, you know, seeing what will grow well, what what's, what's easy to grow, what's... Uh, High maintenance, you know, what, 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 where to put your effort? You know, if you've got to grow food, what, what grows easily? Um, and the person that was advising me would say, "Oh no, you don't want to grow, you don't want to try that." And sure enough, he proved right. You know, like we tried some growing some peas, and there were a lot of <laughs> work, and we had two meals out of them. You know, why was that? Though? Just simply because they're not that productive. Whereas if you, for instance, if you have your squash, if you have <laughs> courgettes and squash and you know <laughs> pumpkin and butternut squash you've got about you've got about two tons they, of squash nothing nothing wants to eat them which is <laughs> peculiar because brassicas everything wants to eat no, none so, of us want to eat them <laughs> so you know we, we lost cauliflower we, we've lost uh brussels sprouts yeah just simply because you know they're they're, they're plants that the pigeons want to eat or the cabbage white want to lay their yeah caterpillar lay eggs and then the caterpillars hatch out so brassicas i wouldn't bother with they're a lot of work you've got to protect them yeah f- and the, Co- ho- the whole idea zucchini, zucchinis to anyone listening in the states is it? yeah and 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 you know that the productivity was amazing we had seven plants i probably needed three <laughs> um and you know we're getting 20 kilos a week uh, <laughs> at the peak how are you managing that you above then faded now a lot of a lot of squash giving, giving a lot away yeah uh, yeah what's the plural of squash squashes or is it squashes. just squashes yeah squashes squashes <laughs> i'm not even sure that even uh, even works but that process of being just outdoors connected to nature makes you feel better well it makes sure that you're uh, i agree it makes sure you're you know you're you, on your days off you're not in an office you're 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 out uh side for you know two three hours in the morning come back have lunch go back for another two three hours in the afternoon Mm. so you know four to six hours outside if it's raining then you take shelter in the polytunnel if it's not raining uh and and it's surprising how often it doesn't rain you know we tend to think we live in a very wet climate but when you you have um a, a small amount of time off in the week you know three uh, th- effectively three d- three days off a week um then mm. surprising how often it's not raining on yeah. those days and probably you know one in four days it well, rains i always think on uh, rain's an interesting one because it frustrates me and i said i want to be outdoors and i always just go out anyway with a raincoat on and if i've committed to jogging i have to do it otherwise it sort of blows my mind so i have to go out and run in the rain and things like that whereas people use it as a deterrent but i always feel if you live in the uk you just have to get the equipment to adapt to the rain because yes. particularly in august november December yeah. there's certain months when it just rains a lot and you can yes. look at the Met Office and you can see the statistics on when it's going to rain so if you're just going to say I'm going to give up exercise you're going yes. outdoors for those weeks it's it's sort of you know very limiting for your for your health and as long as you 
you're not kind of out there just getting soaked and cold and, and getting pneumonia. Is it, it, well, when I had good? a convertible, the, 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 the time I wouldn't have the roof off would be July and August predominantly, you know, mm. because... They're wet months. Wet months. Um, whereas, you know, uh, January, February, quite dry, really. Mm. Um, and uh, May, May June, great, yeah. great months for... for yeah. Sometimes too dry, really. This, this May was really dry. We had to water the plants to keep them alive. And the interesting thing there was the difference between rainwater and plant growth and uh, tap water and plant growth. Mm. The tap water kept the plants alive, but the rainwater, they, they thrived and they grew rapidly. Because it's natural. Is it? Cause, cause, so, so, you know, significant difference. Yeah. So well, the rainwater must be affected by mankind and the, yeah. the chemicals that we put on the and land. The, and stuff. The, um, yeah, to some extent, yeah, air, air pollution affects rainwater. Um, when we lived in the West Indies, every, every house had a tank, mm. so the, the, the uh, water was all the water we drank was caught off the roof. Didn't get much though. Um, we had to watch the tank to make sure that you know if 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 the tank was full and it was raining, you you could you could inverted commas wastewater. You know, you could have <laughs> showers uh, ad lib. <laughs> Or have a bath even because yeah, it's different. We had all sorts of ways of conserving water. From, mm. yeah, we get a know. lot of water in the UK. I suppose that's a positive. We have to try and take take with with that. Um, I, I want to talk about the psychology because there's a lot of statistics banded around, and male suicides on spiked. Uh, female teenage suicide has spiked, but that's been connected to, predominantly to social media. But people are talking about the mental strain of lockdown and of a loss of autonomy, I suppose, and watching the jobs difficulty redundancies have you seen that in your practice there's a lot of mental ill health at the moment yes yes i think that's the um to a certain extent the immeasurable uh um, spin-off and toll of lockdown and and the broader thinkers in our society are highlighting that uh that that we must take into account that mm. when looking at how we respond to uh, outbreaks um, mm. and you know to be honest the current response to, uh, to COVID-19 is unprecedented in its uh, complexity and almost unsustainable and inf an infringement of, of people's uh, way of life yeah um, and, and what we need is the evidence to prove, and I suppose you would say that Sweden is proving that you didn't need such draconian methods to get through it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the working from... And we should look at that. Yeah. And the working from home component's a big part of that, isn't it? Particularly for extroverted individuals. How difficult is, um, is it? Because I, I've been lucky enough to have to go into the... Literally since March, go in at least once, twice a week to Sky Sports and broadcast from the studio... And for me, you know, that saves me. And I've got family at home, but I'm thinking about, you know, at Sky, there's a lot of um, young men and women who are single who work there, who are from a sports background and a lot of team sports background who presumably enjoy people's company. And I asked on a wellbeing conference the other day just how difficult that is for people of an extroverted nature to, to be in their spare room on their own, yeah, I think digi so. digitally connecting with people, but not, yes. not face to face. And when you think of it, when you're, when you're in, the, in the office working, um, you know, whatever the hours are, you're not pinned to a, 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 a screen. No, get breaks. I know we all break the European uh, um, 
uh, VDU directive because none of us would do the work we do. What's a VDU? Well, visual display unit. So, so if, if you look at how how long we should be in front of the screen, mm. it gets it gets less and less the more we are on it. So, you know, if 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 you spend forty minutes, you're supposed to take a. a tw I'm quoting figures that I'd have to refresh my memory, but we all break it because if you spend forty minutes, you're supposed to take a twenty minute break away from the screen. Really. Um, but people now are locked. A lot of people, that my friends, are locked from nine in the morning till five in the evening on, on on Teams calls where they're staring or Zoom calls. They're or all they're meetings. all they're all breaking the European directive on working with computers. Yeah, screens. it's a bit like I think the digital connection, like the team calls and the Zoom Zoom calls, they're a bit like junk food, aren't they? They can yeah. sustain you and get you through a perfunctory phase, but then yeah. I think long term you start to feel. Unwell yes. through it and, yes. and not feel sedated and not feel not satisfied. Normal. It's not. I mean, what you've got to say is: is it, is it normal for people to stare at a screen? Um, my grandfather, uh, my mother's father, was uh, um, an electronic engineer, mm. and the early TV screens were cathode rays and cathode ray oscilloscope, wasn't it? Yeah, screens, and yeah. he used to get absolute. He used to go berserk if we sat too close to the TV. Yeah, because he said, you know, you've you've got it was always six feet from the TV, wasn't it, when we were growing yeah. up? Which is ironic because that's now the COVID <laughs> regulation. Yeah. So he or. said, you know, you've got to be, you've got to sit well back. He would literally pull us back if we were sitting too close to the TV, yeah. the, the old TVs. But I think the same thing is probably true of, of the screens, however much uh, we, we, and also mobile phones. So these invisible rays that we're exposing ourselves to will have a, a um, draining And probably, down, you know, down the line, would probably have uh, health, you know, better directed mm. health directives about the uh, damaging effect. I mean, we all know that microwaves. You know, you you yeah. If you stand too close to a microwave, you microwave your, org your the, organs. The, the, you know. the, the current situation is also um, invoking a set more sedentary behaviour, which is not what we wanted to do. We wanted to go the other way as a, as a culture, particularly speaking for the UK and, and the obesity issues. But what you can do is, if you particularly if you're not on a camera. Because on our calls, the big ones, we can turn our cameras and microphones off and listen to uh, our executives. And actually, you can go for a walk in the garden or you can walk down the road and listen and do what you need to do and try and work activity into it, isn't it? Rather yes. than stay pro, you know, sat on that one chair all day. Is, is yeah, you've got to have diversity of, of, uh, of, of in your, within your work. Mm. And we need face-to-face we -face contact. We need face-to-face -face communication. Because um, you found that stressful, haven't you? Because you're a people person yes and you've been on the phone mainly now yes yes so yeah now we're, we're the recommendation for us is that we see one in three of our consultations is face to face yeah um so that that makes it uh, easier breaks it up uh stressful for you guys as doctors trying to determine serious illness as well from afar isn't it yes without all the physical cues of of sort of yes, because bo body mannerisms and the symptomatology of influenza and COVID are practically mirror images. <laughs> well, yeah, quickly before we go, because we'll, we'll wrap it up in a minute. But what are the key key symptoms? Um, as Carla comes out to grab her coat. Um, what are the key symptoms of um, that we should determine? Because we're all an anxious at the moment with kids going back to school, regular coughs and colds. Is there something that you would say? This is predominantly, definitely. I think COVID. the one thing that, that that people overlook in in the symptomatology is is the degree of illness. So mm. that if if somebody has a runny nose, 
and uh, they're not particularly ill, it's very likely that it's a cold or influenza virus that 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 they have some degree of immunity to, um, particularly the older the child or the older the person, because we all remember when uh, our children go to school for the first time, particularly the first child who's been um, uh, relatively isolated mm. from exposure to other children, that for the first year particularly, they're going down repeatedly with coughs and colds. Yeah. And the likelihood is that it's non-COVID. Mm. So you have to know your own area yeah. as to what the incidence of COVID is. And, the deg- and you have to look not just at the symptomatology, but at the degree of illness. Yeah. So how high is the temperature? The particular type of cough is a dry cough, is it COVID? No, it can be either. It can be dry or moist, and, uh, but it's more of a cough that is deeper. Yeah. So it, if you like, uh, as COVID moves into the pneumonia form, it's going to be a cough that's deeper, mm. uh, whereas a throaty cough or a cough to clear your throat is more likely to be a cold virus or... A, or so it's something resonating from the chest. Yeah. So the and and if 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 you're worried, uh, then uh, the thing that we measure is oxygen level. Yeah. So normally, in children, uh, if you have an oximeter, which you can buy quite cheaply, and it's probably, you know, you'd have a thermometer as a, for, for your home kit, and now I think it's worth having a, an oximeter which is a pulse oximeter so it fits on the finger so a child over the age of two you can measure the oxygen mm. and um, it, normally that a, a child with uh, no chest uh, problems would have an oxygen sat of 98 to 99 percent um, if they have a upper respiratory tract infection like a cold it'll often drop to 97 so it just goes down one or two percent mm. uh, but with COVID, it, it, it's, if, if somebody's developing a COVID pneumonia, it will go down to 94 or below. Wow. Okay. Um, and so... You can buy that from the pharmacy? Yeah, you can get it through Chemist. You can buy them online. And I mean... Pulse oximeter. They cost a, um, probably 60 pounds, yeah. something like that. But, you know, 40 to 80. The, the, I mean, the pragmatic approach seems to, for all of us, for work and school and something that we're trying to adopt because I don't necessarily want to take two weeks off off work at the moment in terms of kind of making it difficult for them. But it's trying to avoid developing any symptoms that could be confused. And particularly as broadcasters on TV, we're being encouraged not to have regular colds just because of the unsettling nature of it at the moment because of people's anxiety um in terms of staving that off we've talked about cytoplan in the past they're associated with a podcast there's a, there's a code draper 10 draper 10 that they can get the listeners to get their 10 percent discount we've talked about immunovite and foundation formula but cytoplan which is a company you've consulted with for a long time they've actually got a new one out haven't they which is a sort of a, a holistic one-stop shop in terms of a, a supplement called um immune complete one and two, one being for women and two yeah. being for men. A bit like the Foundation Formula One having iron in it and Foundation Formula Two not having. So Immune Complete One is for teenagers um, and young women and the Immune Complete Two is for um, men. So boys over the age of 18, mm. uh, men and postmenopausal women. Because they don't need women, iron. Because they don't need iron as a supplement. 
Yeah. The, so the dart, the dart is replete for iron and that, in men. And that 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 would get, and including the, the foundation formula already gets this, but that would have your vitamin D, yeah. your vitamin C, your selenium, your zinc. Yeah. So the, the, the fulcrums that you talk and about. The 1316 beta glucans at 150 milligrams. Which is important for exercise, you mentioned so, before. So that would be equivalent to, uh, you need um, uh, a certain level of 1316 beta glucans to tone up the immune system. So maximum toning is 10 milligrams per kilogram. Yeah. But if you've got 150, then that's like two, two to three okay. milligrams per kilogram. So that would give you, if you like, immune enhancing, innate, the innate immune system. Um, so that would make your cellular defenses more uh, vigilant. Yeah. Um, and also it's got the flavonoids, quercetin, resveratrol, oregano. So these are plant-derived antiviral substances that have an effect upon the immune system. Mm. So, interesting. So, cytoplan.co.uk to, to find that one. And I'm, I'm still on the Immunovite and the Foundation formula, but I'm definitely going to look into to getting those as well. Um, and we have paid a lot of money to buy those supplements over the years, but we're definitely fans of uh, Cytoplan. Dad, I've got to um, go nearly an hour up. You've had your vitamin D from the sunshine, but thank you for your time. And um, we'll speak again soon as this, this develops, I guess, over the, the winter. Yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep chatting. Cheers, Dad. Sharing ideas. Yeah, definitely. So there we have it, Dr. Mark Draper. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope it's helpful in, regarding immunity in terms of, uh, I found the exercise aspect interesting there about, and I'd kind of been aware of this, but particularly working with athletes in my day job as a sports broadcaster, you're kind of cognizant that it's not always the healthiest pursuit, often uh, struggling with injuries. And as I say, long distance athletes in particular that run long distances often have coughs and colds from my remember, remembrances at university as well at this sports, University of Loughborough in England. So that was interesting, and, and hopefully you can look out um, that multivitamin, the immune complete one, which I suppose, as I say, replaces the foundation formula and Immunovite, which I take in tandem from uh, Cytoplan's website. So immune complete one and two, one being if you're a woman or a child or younger requiring iron, but an adult man, immune complete two, uh, available at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N dot co dot uk and you can get 10 percent off with the discount code draper 10 d-r-a-p-e-r one zero i think supplementation has been something that i've always been good at i think sleep as that foundation of immune system has been a challenge for me be interested to see how, what, what you think about that in terms of the holistic lifestyle another thing for me uh, regarding sleep has been um, digital discipline uh, quite good at disciplining around exercise but for me it's always been difficult in the smartphone era to put a phone down in the evening to not to check your email not to browse social media because of the addictive uh, tendencies that it that it that it kind of plays upon i think in our in our subconscious and an interesting documentary to to look at is social media dilemma by netflix which certainly revolutionized my approach and realized how to crack down on, on managing my smartphone use um so recommend that on netflix as well hopefully that's uh, useful to you let me know if you like it guys and obviously rate it on itunes be fantastic i can do sort of regular chats with my dad and it was interesting that story that sort of research from the british medical journal as well bmj which he mentions there about um research in austria that suggests that perhaps it's more widespread covid than than we realize and more antibodies have been expressed by us so it's worth looking at the british medical journal for that that study in austria and um 
indeed we'll try and bring further research to light on COVID-19 and anything else around immunity if you're interested in that. Obviously, this is predominantly a sport and life podcast, but I think health and fitness has always been something I've been fascinated in, possibly ignited by uh, my father being such a sort of curious man around it as a, as a doctor and a nutritionist, and he's always been fascinated by well-being and, and health. So it's interesting. And he also mentions the psychological stresses at the moment. So I hope you're well in regards to finances, the wider economy, the sort of barrage of, of concerning no- stories we have about health and, and the economy and everything else. And finances and even the barrage of negative comment about social about psychology which then makes you feel bad in a way of mental health so it's a, it's a vicious circle sometimes but i hope you're well i hope the situation is as good as can be i hope this was of use to you uh, ed draper 81 on twitter for me ed underscore draper 81 on instagram i'm checking it sporadically not as addictively hopefully as a past but i will get back to you if you get in touch and ed at eddraper.co.uk is my email address i hope you enjoyed this podcast have a fantastic week and i will uh, be back with another one soon thank you guys